Japan, deemed one of the safest countries with a wonderful culture, has become one of the top destinations for tourism. However, not many know about its dark history, and current issues are quite well hidden. Now, with the release of a new Netflix documentary film that delves into the chilling case of Lucy Jane Blackman, today let's turn our attention to the enigmatic feature at the heart of this disturbing story, Juji Obara. Choji Obara was born in Osaka, Japan, on August 10, 1952, with the birth name Kim Sung-jung. His parents were ethnic Koreans in Japan. His father was said to have climbed the social ranks from collecting scraps to finally owning several properties, making the family immensely wealthy at the time. Reportedly, the family owned a taxi company, real estate properties, and even a pachinko business. Matching his prestigious upbringing, Obara attended private schools in Tokyo and Yokohama, such as Takeo Senior High School in Kanagawa. He was known to be a shy and quiet student. Obara and his siblings were seen as the protected wealthy students. Unfortunately, his father passed away when he was only 17, leaving him and his siblings a large inheritance. It was rumored that their father left them around 40 million yen worth of assets from Tokyo to Osaka. As a result, Obara and his siblings were already millionaires at such a young age. Obara then proceeded to enroll in a prep school, which guaranteed his acceptance into Keio University through the school's affiliation. He graduated from the university with a degree in law and politics. After his graduation, Obara became a naturalized Japanese citizen and legally changed his Korean birth name to Choji Obara. Obara pursued a career meddling with real estate properties while his two brothers went on to become doctors. Feeling that his daily work was tiring and tedious, in his 30s he started investing aggressively in the real estate stock market. Unfortunately, the 1990s recession occurred, affecting many countries worldwide, including Japan, where stock market and real estate prices plunged. Consequently, Obara lost his firm and fortune, and he was chased by creditors for his debts. With his fortune almost gone, Obara had to think fast to save himself. He had no problem using his abilities, business, and properties as a money laundering front for the Japanese mafia or yakuza known as sumiyoshikai. Not only that, but it also seemed like Obara was no longer interested in living a good and honest life. He began committing unimaginable crimes even in the eyes of the Japanese police. No one knew about Obara's private and social life, as the man was always seen as a quiet loner who stayed indoors at his residence in Moto Akasaka Tower most of the time. He also forbid his former employees at his real estate company to take pictures of him. He wore sunglasses during the day, and cell phone records reveal that he had become a nocturnal creature. Perhaps as a way to flaunt his wealth, Obara owned several luxury cars. With that amount of wealth, Obara himself had a sick and disgusting obsession with women. Like many other wealthy people, Obara frequented Japanese hostess bars. Hosts and hostesses are people paid to get drinks and accompany customers without any sexual innuendos. Customers may pick any host or hostess they want using a booking system. Hosts or hostesses can also accept paid date offers outside of their club, which is called a dohan date. 
This profession is indeed adventurous, but also very risky. Obara frequently visited the Casablanca Club, a high-end nightclub located in the Ropongi district. He targeted women, especially foreign hostesses working at the club. He appeared to have a particular interest in blonde Caucasian women. It is known that he had a fetish for engaging in inappropriate acts with unconscious women. He would approach the hostesses he was interested in and propose dohan dates outside of their working hours. However, what he did during these encounters went beyond merely going out for a dinner or a stroll around the city. Obara often took these unsuspecting women to his property, such as his condo in Tsushimarina or Moto Akasaka Tower. After drugging them, he would proceed to perform disgusting acts on them while they were unconscious. Reports indicated that he used a rope suspended from a metal bolt attached to his ceiling to lift the woman's foot up. To ensure the victims remained unconscious during his heinous acts, he would place a cloth soaked in chloroform over their faces. As if the assaults themselves weren't repulsive enough, Obata recorded himself committing these acts and kept the tapes labeled with the victims' names. When the victims regained consciousness, they experienced physical pain and nausea due to the physical and psychological trauma. He would sometimes dress them back in their own clothes and make up a story saying, you're such a fun girl, you drank an entire bottle of vodka, and another that there had been a gas leak. In 1998, Obara was apprehended in Wakayama for disguising himself as a woman to enter women's restrooms and record them. During his arrest, he was reportedly uncooperative and refused to have his photograph taken for his mugshot. Strangely, Obara's activities as a predator targeting these hostesses seemed to have eluded the attention of the Japanese police for a while, though not for long. The turning point came with the disappearance of Lucy Jane Blackman, a 21-year-old British woman. Lucy initially worked as a flight attendant for British Airways, and when her visa was extended in Tokyo, she decided to try working as a hostess along with her friend and colleague Louise Phillips at the Casablanca nightclub in the Rokongi district. On July 1st, 2000, it was reported that she went on a Dohan date with a man, but never returned or contacted her loved ones. Lucy met a man who offered her a prepaid phone to accompany him to a beachside restaurant. She left her roommate Louise behind, dressed in a black dress and a silver heart necklace, with plans to meet Louise and Scott Fraser later that evening. Lucy made a few phone calls to Louise during that day, but after her last call at 7pm, she disappeared and no one heard from her again. The day after Lucy's Dohan date, her roommate Louise received a call from an unidentified man who claimed that Lucy had joined a cult and wouldn't be returning soon. This strange and suspicious message triggered alarm bells and initiated a widespread search for Lucy Blackman's whereabouts. Tim Blackman and Sophie Blackman, Lucy's father and sister respectively, flew to Japan to search for her. The case garnered significant attention, prompting Tim to push the Japanese police to be more proactive in the investigation. Numerous press conferences were held, media outlets covered the story extensively, and posters were distributed, yet Lucy remained missing. 
Initially, the Japanese police were hesitant to treat the case seriously, suspecting that Lucy might be attempting to overstay her visa or evade authorities. The fact that Lucy was working illegally in a job from which women often fled without notice was also why Japanese authorities were not quick to respond to the search for her. Of roughly 300,000 legal foreign workers in Japan, one third are employed in the adult industry, and they thought Lucy had fallen into its trap. However, due to Tim's unwavering efforts, the police were compelled to take the case more seriously. After all, it seemed out of character for Lucy to join a cult, given her skeptical nature, and disappear without any contact. The disappearance of Lucy Blackman became a major case, capturing the attention of both the Japanese and English governments. The Prime Minister of England at the time, Tony Blair, visited Japan to discuss the case with Japanese Prime Minister Junichiro Koizumi. Blair urged both governments and the police to prioritize finding this missing woman. A report from an anonymous hostess who worked in the Roppongi district caught the investigator's attention. In the report, the woman stated that she had been taken on a Dohan date by a male customer who frequented the club to a seaside area dotted with palm trees. She recounted how she fell unconscious during the encounter and woke up feeling physically ill. The only location known to have numerous palm trees was Tsushi Marina in Kanagawa. Taking this report into consideration, the investigators decided to visit Roppongi to speak with other hostesses who might have had similar experiences. Many of them were initially hesitant due to fears of overstaying their visas. Despite the challenges, several women eventually came forward to share their remarkably similar encounters. In each instance, a man took them on a Doan date near the sea. After which they will lose consciousness and wake up the next morning with no recollection of the previous night. Five days after Blackman was last heard from on July 6, 2000, the police were informed by the manager of Choji Obara's Miura Peninsula condo about a noisy tenant the previous day. Upon visiting Obara's apartment that evening, they found Obara shirtless and sweaty. When they requested to inspect the apartment, officers noticed scattered cement chunks, what appeared to be a gardening tool. Obara explained that he was removing tiles. When they asked to see the bathroom, Obara refused, claiming they had seen enough, and he became increasingly agitated during further questioning. However, at this stage, the police had no grounds for heightened suspicion towards Obara. The police made a significant breakthrough when they examined the list of residents at Tsushi Marina searching for individuals wealthy enough to own multiple luxury cars. Obara, who possessed luxury cars himself, raised suspicion. This suspicion intensified when investigators realized that the pseudonym P. Orihara, he used for his residence at Moto Akasaka Tower, could be read as Obara in Japanese kanji characters. Upon reviewing his criminal records and having the identified victims confirm his identity from his mugshot, the police knew they needed to approach this prime suspect quickly yet cautiously. Around 7 in the morning on October 18th, Obara was apprehended at his residence by the waiting investigators. Remarkably, he offered no resistance and cooperated with the police, seemingly aware that his arrest was inevitable. 
It was a fleeting moment where hope and justice seemed to penetrate the shroud of mystery surrounding Lucy and other victims. Following the arrest, law enforcement executed search warrants on Obara's properties, including his condo in Sushi Marina Building No. 4 and the Moto Akasaka Towers. The search revealed numerous items related to alcohol and drugs, a personal notebook, and an alarming number of videotapes depicting his assaults. Watching the tapes was deeply distressing and traumatizing for the investigators, yet none featured Lucy Blackman among the victims. Although the evidence they had allowed the police to bring charges against Obara for his crimes, it remained uncertain if he could shed light on Lucy's whereabouts. During questioning, Obara exhibited signs of being unhinged, having seemingly lost touch with reality. He consistently denied the allegations, even with the existence of over 400 tapes as evidence. Obata argued that since the hostesses were paid, everything he did with them was consensual. When asked about Lucy Blackman, he denied any knowledge of her or having ever met her. The turning point, for better or worse, arrived on February 9th, 2001, when Inspector Tadashi Naito discovered Lucy's remains. Tragically, her body had been dismembered into eight parts, buried approximately 50 centimeters beneath the sand, with her head encased in concrete. Her remains were concealed beneath a bathtub inside a seashore cave at Miura, Kanagawa, near one of Obara's properties. Regrettably, Lucy Blackman was not the first of Obara's victims. Prior to Lucy, there was another woman named Karita Ridgway, much like Lucy, a foreigner working as a hostess in Japan. She had followed her sister from Australia to Japan. Karita had also been taken on a Dohan date by Obara. However, due to an excessive amount of chloroform, Karita experienced seizures and severe physical symptoms. Obara took Karita to the hospital under the pseudonym Nishita. He claimed she had eaten a tainted oyster, resulting in food poisoning. After leaving the hospital, Karita's condition worsened over several days, leading to liver failure and brain death, ultimately resulting in her death. A videotape of Karita Ridgway's assault, along with a journal entry by Obara stating he had used too much chloroform, were discovered by the police. Karita Ridgway's sudden death raised suspicion among her family. She had been healthy before her Dohan date. It seemed implausible for a previously healthy person to die rapidly to food poisoning and later die of hepatitis E. Despite requests for a deeper investigation, neither the embassy nor the police provided support for such inquiries. The police found cement, rope, and a chainsaw purchased receipt in Obara's possession. Coupled with the discovery of the body near his property and testimonies from multiple witnesses, the police had assembled a case against him. Furthermore, an autopsy conducted on a sample of Karita Ridgway's liver revealed the presence of chloroform traces. Consequently, the trial against Choji Obara commenced on July 4, 2001. After a seven-year trial, on April 24, 2007, Choji Obara was found guilty, based on evidence from 400 videotapes. The charges also included the assault, leading to Karita Ridgway's tragic death. 
However, he was acquitted of the abduction and murder charges related to Lucy Blackman due to insufficient direct evidence, leading the verdict to rely heavily on circumstantial evidence. The discovery of the body was too late for the cause of death to be determined. Therefore, tracing forensic evidence linking the accused to her death was cited as the reason for acquittal. Authorities have hinted they possess a video of Obara assaulting Lucy, but without proof of chloroform in her liver, they cannot directly link Obara to her murder. This outcome faced severe criticism from Lucy's family, the prosecution, and even investigators. Nevertheless, Choji Obara was sentenced to life imprisonment. Seeking justice specifically for Lucy, an appeal was lodged. This appeal was eventually heard on March 25, 2008, in the Tokyo High Court. On December 16, 2008, Choji Obara was ultimately found guilty of abducting, dismembering, and disposing of Lucy Blackman's body. He attempted to appeal the decision, but the Supreme Court of Japan rejected the appeal in December 2010. As of now, Choji Obara remains incarcerated, serving his life sentence in Tokyo Detention Center. Obara's crimes stand as some of the most reprehensible against women. While he has been imprisoned and justice has been rendered, no amount of legal retribution can fully alleviate the trauma experienced by his victims and the grief of their families. It remains a haunting reminder that such criminals might still be lurking on the streets of Japan targeting victims, especially those involved in adult entertainment industries. That's all for today. Thanks for watching.